as Duncan has said, I'm going to be starting a new series today on Daniel. Who feels they have a kind of good grasp on the book of Daniel? Can we get a show of hands? Daniel Dieppe, I'm sure you do. About halfway through. <laughs> yeah, I think um, most people have a really good grip on Daniel 1 to 6. Spot on. Daniel 1 to 6 is kind of a narrative. So stories about how Daniel is faithful. And then from 7 to 12, it gets a little bit more complicated because it turns into, I can't say this word, apocryph- apocalyptic. I can never say that word. I wasn't going to say it, but apocalyptic. So visions of heaven, apocalyptic. 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 I keep practicing it. But visions of heaven and future and what God is going to do and what he's, what he's about. And there's some scary visions of beasts and lions. I think we're going to focus on Daniel 1 to 6 in this series. So uh, <laughs> there's some good books. Tim Dieppe loves Daniel. It's his favorite book. I think it is it your favorite book. Is that what you said? And one of his favorite sons. But we, we will look at Daniel 7 to 12 at some point because the visions are incredible and give incredible hope. But we're going to focus on Daniel 1 to 6 for now. I just want to start by saying that if you are alive today, anyone want to check? Good. If you are alive today, God has big purposes for you. God has unique purposes for you. Your life is significant in God. He has plans and purposes for you to use you and to equip you and to love you, to cherish you. God has amazing plans for you. I think sometimes we can kind of get lost in this kind of like life is busy, life is hectic, life is, is, uh, there's pressures all around us, crises happen and things go on. But I want you to know this, God has plans and purposes for you, individually for you. And your life can have a huge impact in this world. The way that you live, the way that you act, and that's something that that we learn from Daniel. Something that we learn from Daniel is that your individual choices, your individual life, the way that you live can have a huge impact on this world. And that's something that we'll come back to again and again in Daniel. Let me just introduce you to Daniel. So Daniel 1, 1 to 4. Oh, we've got a PowerPoint. Thanks, Joshua. It's good. So let's read Daniel 1. Who's got a Bible? (laughs) Digital is good. So Daniel 1, I'm going to read from 1 to 4. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his gods, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. 
So this is the setting that Daniel finds himself in. And it's a setting of national crisis for God's people. It's a, a setting where God's people have been overthrown by another kingdom, by a big empire, an empire that has arisen, a superpower called Babylon has arisen, and they've come and they've surrounded the city. You can read about it in 2 Kings 24. You can ring, read about how the king comes uh, of Babylon and he besieges the city. So he surrounds the city and he starves out the stuff that's going to come into the city and he stops people leaving the city and he causes oppression within the city. And actually what happens in this story is that the king of Judah says, actually, I am not going to fight this. Babylon, we cannot fight against. So he gives himself up and he says, actually, we're not going to do this. And so they give themselves up. And they, so Israel, God's people, Jerusalem, has given itself up to be ruled by another empire. That's pretty big, isn't it? God's people, God's chosen people, they give themselves up to be ruled by a, a, a city that has another God, a people group that believes in other gods and worships other, nation, other gods. And ah, It's a dark moment for Israel. It's a dark moment for God's people. Not only that, but it's also a personal crisis for Daniel. So it says that Daniel was part of the nobility or the, the, in the line for the throne. So he was part of the royal people. He was part of the nobility. He was powerful. He was mighty. He was going somewhere. His life was tracking in a certain direction. And it looked pretty cool. It looked pretty sweet. It, it, he could see things were going to go well. It, it describes, obviously, because he was taken, it describes him as quite an attractive guy, quite a tall guy. I can't help but look at Daniel Deer when I say this. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm, try, I'm trying not to. But he was going places, and he'd have had plans and purposes. He'd have had desires in his heart. He'd have had these kind of things that he was thinking, yeah, I'm going to be part of the ruling party of this nation of God's people on the earth today. Life is good. And then this foreign power comes. And this foreign power takes Daniel. And actually, 2 Kings 24 tells us that 10,000 people were taken in this, in this attack. 10,000 people were taken um, of the nobility, of the people who were powerful. So the king, his family, all were taken out of Jerusalem and God's people and taken to, to serve in the Babylonian kingdom and to live in this place where actually it's like, Oh, I don't actually agree with your value system. I don't agree with what you're doing. I don't agree with what your plans and purposes are. I don't, I don't quite align with it. I don't sit comfortably in this. I, I, and there's personal crisis in this point. So not only is there national crisis and international powers, which are kind of threatening and, and scary. Anyone kind of recognize that? <laughs> international powers. And unlike Ukraine, they didn't fight. They just gave up and gave themselves up to the bigger nation. And then there's these personal crises which are going on all around and pressurizing and causing tension and causing 
difficulty and thinking, actually, I thought my life was going this way. What's going on in this situation? And I see it all around with people I'm meeting today. I see it happening in England today. I see it happening in London today. I see it happening in our church today. There's personal crisis as well as national crisis. How did God's people get to this point? Does anyone know a bit of the history, a bit of the story? Because this is real history. This happened. This happened uh, about 500 BC. And what happened was, let's take it back. Let's take it back to where Israel began. So Israel was chosen. Abraham was chosen to be God's person. And they chose uh, Abraham. Uh, and God blessed him and gave him a blessing and said, you are going to be blessed and you're going to bless the world through your family. I'm going to grow this family to be a blessing. Brilliant. We, we're doing well. Abraham grew and the family grew through uh, Isaac and then Moses came in and, and God said, Moses, you are going to lead this people and you are going to be a blessing and you will be a blessing and you will be blessed by me. And at that point, there was no king in charge. They had people who led, they had leaders, and then they had judges, and then they had other people, prophets, who were speaking from God. But God was the king. God was always the king of them. And then there's this really interesting point in 1 Samuel 8, and it says, the people looked around at the other nations, and they said, oh God, give us a king like every other nation. Let us be like every other nation. That's what it says in 1 Samuel 8. And they reject God at that point. They reject something of God and his kingship in them. And God says, okay, let them have a king. And Samuel, who was the prophet who was talking to God at this point, don't be offended. This isn't about you. This is about them rejecting me. So God puts a king in place and he puts King Saul in place. And King Saul is told, if you're faithful, I will be faithful. This is the first king of God's people. And he's faithful for a bit. And then guess what? He chooses not to be faithful. And so God takes him out of power. And he brings David in. Now David is a wonderful king. David is the king of kings. No, he's not the king of kings the king of Israel, and the one that we always look back to. And Daniel led fantastically well. And may, uh, Daniel David led fantastically well. And when David was coming to the end of his reign, the Bible tells us that all of the borders were at peace. So David had to fight lots of wars, but all of the borders were at peace. And at the center of God's people was the worship of God. Daniel, uh, David led in a way that meant that God's people fixated their lives upon him, worshipped him, glorified him. God's people then had the blessing of God because they were faithful to God. And then the next king, King Solomon, comes in. And King Solomon is good for a little while. He is quite a good, he builds the temple, he, he does good things for Israel, but then he starts to 
intermarry for other nations. Why? Because he wants to have peace and peace treaties with other nations. So he starts putting his trust in something that isn't God and wasn't God. He starts putting his trust in these peace treaties. And he goes against what God has told him not to do. So God has told him not to intermarry with the nations around because it will take his heart away from God. What happens? His heart goes away from God. And he starts worshipping Baal and he starts worshipping at Ashtoreth poles and, and he starts, his heart goes away from God. And at this point, God says, because of David's faithfulness to me, I am not going to remove the kingdom from you. But I am going to divide the kingdom. And at this point, Israel divides into two. So you get this, the uh, Judah, which is two of the tribes of Israel. And then you get Israel, which is 10 of the tribes of Israel. And they almost go to war against each other about taxes and taxation and things. But at this point, you get two kings coming along. And God says, be faithful to me, and I will be faithful to you. Be faithful to me, worship me, and I will be faithful to you. And again, now you just get a succession of king after king after king. Some of them were faithful to God and they saw the blessing of God. Some of them were unfaithful to God. Israel, which was the majority of tribes, were less faithful to God. And actually, when Assyria, another kingdom, arose, they actually came and overthrew Israel. About 200 years before this had happened to Judah in Daniel. So Israel had, and then Judah had seen this and gone, oh, they've been unfaithful and they've been overthrown. This is God's people being overthrown. And Judah, the kingdom of Judah, the kings sometimes were faithful. And when they were faithful, what happened? They were blessed. When they were unfaithful, the blessing was taken away. And when you get to this interesting point in, in 2 Kings 20. And in 2 Kings 20, what happens is Hezekiah, who's been a faithful king of Judah, he comes in uh, and it, it gets lazy towards the end of his rule and reign. And, it, and he chooses not to uh, fight and he chooses to show the kingdom of Babylon all of the riches of, of the kingdom in order to try and get on side with Babylon. And Isaiah, who loves it when Isaiah comes into a story? <laughs> it's one of the best bits. Isaiah comes in and he says, because you have done this, and you can find it in Isaiah 38 and 2 Kings 20, you can find that Isaiah says this, because you have been unfaithful to God, the kingdom will be taken. People will be taken and also things from the Lord's house will be taken and put into the, to the Babylonians' empire. And that's what happens. The beginning of Daniel. It's exactly what happens. Who noticed a little bit, and I put it in red on there, so I hope I gave you a bit of a clue. And God gave. God is always faithful to his word. Always faithful to his word. 
And God's people have had warning after warning after warning after warning. Be faithful to me. God has been patient. He's been kind. He's been generous for hundreds of years. He's just allowing people to, to go against him, his people. And at this point, God says, okay, I'm going to be faithful to my word, and you are going to be taken into captivity. But it's based on the faithfulness of people and the faithfulness of God. God will always be faithful to his word. And he will always give warning, and there'll always be grace, and there'll always be hope, and there'll always be God in the midst of it. But he is faithful to the word that he gives. So here we are. Let's get back to Daniel. Let's get back to to who Daniel is. Daniel 1, verse 5. The king assigned them a daily portion of food that the king ate and then wine that he drank. They were to be educated. So this is talking about the people who were taken and brought into the Babylonian Empire. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. This is a key moment in Daniel, a key verse for Daniel. Daniel resolved in his heart that he would be faithful to God. In the midst of crisis, in the midst of personal crisis, national crisis, in the midst of not really understanding necessarily what's going on, in the midst of being taken to a place where he didn't fit in quite and he didn't have the, quite the projected future that he desired or wanted, Daniel resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself. And that's the question that I want to ask today. The big question that I want to ask today on the next is it on the next or the one before? What have you resolved in your heart? Oh, it's, you can't really see the red, can you? What have you purposed in your heart? What have you resolved in your mind for your life? Have you resolved in your heart? Have you made a decision that no matter what, I am going to remain faithful to God. Come what may, I am going to be faithful to God. Have you made a decision in your heart and in your mind? I am going to be faithful to God. I am going to be faithful to God. This is a a key thing in Daniel. And you might think, oh, 
reading Daniel, it seems like a bit of a roller coaster. It seems like something that happens really quickly and again and again, day after day, he's either going to lions or being thrown into fires or this or that. Or, but actually, this is a period that lasts 66 years for Daniel. The book of Daniel, he is in captivity and he, he serves under three foreign gods, uh, kings. He serves their empire and he does it faithfully to his God for 66 years. Why is that? Because he resolved in his heart and his mind that no matter what, he would be faithful to God. No matter what the cost to him. He resolved in his heart that he would be holy before his God. He resolved in his heart that he would be faithful to his God. He resolved in his heart that he would not defile himself with the things around him. He resolved in his heart. (laughs) He would trust the Lord. Not others around him. He would put his trust in the Lord. And he would live his life putting his trust in the Lord. And you'll see it again and again as we do Daniel 1 to 6. But remember, this is 66 years and you're seeing the highlights. So he's making these decisions day in, day out. Like many of you probably are in your workplaces where you don't quite agree with a culture all the time or you, or you don't, you know, you're trying to impact on something and, and you're like, oh, okay, how do I be faithful to God whilst serving in this place. And it's not easy, but that have you resolved in your heart that you will be constantly faithful to God? I think this is the, the, the point to me that your individual choices and decisions will have a bigger impact than you believe or, or think or know. And, and that's kind of where I get to it, Daniel, actually. You, you make these individual choices and you think this is just an individual choice. This is just my decision. I'm going to live like this and be like this. But actually, that will echo through. That will echo through organizations. It will echo through businesses. It will echo through hospitals and schools. It will echo through. It will echo through our culture as we decide to live faithfully and resolve in our hearts to live faithfully and purely to God, for God. And Daniel says, I am not going to eat the food off the king's table. Now, this is a, a time where Daniel could have lived pretty lavishly. This, you probably hadn't seen food like this before. This was like feasting every day. He could have eaten meat and, and, and just feasted on these things. But he says, no, I'm not going to live like that because I think it will defile me. Now, it will either defile him. It could be that it will defile him because of Levitical law doesn't quite fit but it it could be that or it could be and this is what I think it is I think it's this thing of the king is trying to conform Daniel to the way of his thinking and he's trying to say actually the food off my table is what's going to feed you and he wants him to know that this food is being taken from the king of Babylon in order to feed him so eating it is saying this I'm the king of Babylon 
and my God is providing your needs, and my God is strengthening you, and I am making you great, and I'm making you, you, I'm educating you, I'm, I'm, look at me. And the trust would then be, in Daniel, I am trusting that king for my provision. I'm trusting that king to provide all my needs, to sustain me, to strengthen me. To, and what happens in that situation is you, you can get into a place of needing to worship because you're not free because you're relying on him. You're relying on that nation. You're relying on them. And Daniel wants to say this. No, I know that my provision comes from the Lord. I know that I am provided for financially, I know that I'm provided for in energy and sustenance. I'm provided for in my health. I'm provided. It comes from the Lord. That's where my reliance comes from. I will rely on the Lord. I will put my trust in him. He will provide for me. He will provide my needs. And Daniel is making that proclamation from the very beginning. I will always rely on God to provide my every need. And I think that's something that we need in our culture to realize and know. Because sometimes when you're working a job and you need the money, you can start to think, actually, no, I can't go against what they're saying because the money is coming and flowing from here. Have we got any Americans in the house? Not today. Have we got anyone who uses American currency in any nation when they travel? In Cambodia, they use American currency because it's a, a, a more stable currency. Does anyone know the motto that is on every piece of currency in America? In God we trust. I loved it when I had that in my pocket. I loved it. I loved looking at these notes. And actually, when I came back, I carried one around for a while. Because the statement is this. I don't trust in this money. I don't trust in the material. I don't trust in this. I trust in the Lord that provides this. That's where my provision comes from. And Paul, in, in one of his messages, says, I know how to abound and how to abase. I know how to rely on my God in every situation, whether I've got plenty or I've got little. And we need to learn that more and more. Our provision comes from the Lord. Our provision comes from him. And that should help us to be courageous for God. That should help us to live courageously not just accepting everything around us because we rely on the healthcare system or we rely on this person to give me money or we rely, our reliance has to be in the Lord. And that becomes harder and harder in a crisis moment when finances begin to pinch, when things get more expensive. It gets harder and harder to say, no, my reliance is in the Lord. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to say, my provision is from the Lord. He will sustain me. He will make me grow. So what does Daniel do? He says, and everyone will know this is a miracle. Because Daniel is fatter and stronger and, and uh, on, a, on a meager portion of vegetables. <laughs> He's stronger in that way than the people who are all around him. Why? Because he's relied on the Lord. And it's the Lord who provides his needs. 
It's the Lord who sustains. It's the Lord who does things for him. It's the Lord who makes him clever. It's the Lord. It's not the, the food on his table. It's the Lord's power and strength upon him and in him. It's the Lord he relies on. And you can read it in the, the bottom of Daniel. They're like, Daniel, Michelle, I forget their names. Because I know the other names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Everyone else the same? Do you know the real names? You just read them. That's cheating. <laughs> but the, law, the, the king saw... The king saw that they were stronger and wiser and cleverer. And why does it say in Daniel? Because God gave them. What are we relying on? Are we relying on the Lord fully for his provision, for his breakthrough, for his mercy, for his love? We can rely on him. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the one that provides our needs. He's the one that sustains us. Now, there's a way, sometimes it can, when you're wanting to stand up against the culture around you, you can sometimes come across as abrasive, or you can sometimes come across as like you're, um, you could be attacking, but I just want to show you that Daniel didn't do that. The way Dan, uh, Daniel did it was he approached the person in charge. He resolved it in his heart. Then he approached the person in charge and he said, listen, I, I don't want to defile myself with this. I don't want to make a big thing about it, but I, I don't want to do this. He did it in a really peaceable way. He did it in a really gentle-hearted way, in a kind way. Sometimes making decisions doesn't have to be this big public thing. It doesn't have to be this big courageous thing. It just has to be, actually, in my heart, I feel this isn't right. And therefore, I'm going to talk to that person and I'm just going to chat with them. I'm going to say, you know, I can't do that for this reason. And what does it say? It says that this person, actually, when Daniel spoke to him, it created an opportunity for this person to be open and honest. Because Ashpenaz says this. He says, I'm actually afraid of the king. You know, if, if you look differently or you're not strong or you're not wise and it's because I've allowed you to not eat meat, the king is going to kill me. It's going to be on my head. So Daniel's wise in his decisions, and he says this, Ashpenaz, just, okay, try it for 10 days. Let's see what happens in 10 days. And it's not this antagonistic and anti and against. It's this kind of, okay, let's build friendship. Let's build love. And this is one of the verses we as a church live in, Jeremiah 29. And it's one of the verses that was written to the people who are living in exile during Daniel's time. And it says this. It says, seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you into, for in its welfare you will get your welfare. It says to settle down, to have families, to marry. That's what the instruction was from one prophet to another prophet and a people. Now, we have to be people who are not excluding ourselves from the world, not taking ourselves out of the world, not taking ourselves out of friendship groups. 
We need to be people who are so knitted into the community, so knitted into friendship groups, that we have a voice to speak so that people will see that God does amazing things. Because he does. God does amazing things, incredible things. And people will look on, like Ashpenaz looked on, and he said, wow, you know, look at what, look at what God did. He made you stronger despite the fact you've not been eating. We need to be knitted into this community more and more. In your workplaces, you need to be knitted in. You need to build friendships. You need to serve faithfully. You need to work hard. And you will get opportunity to shine for the glory of God. And it's about making courageous decisions. Courageous decisions. Not to blow it all out the water. It says this in uh, 1 Peter 3. Verse 14, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. I think as we, as we show God, as we live for God, as we make that decision in our hearts, as we realise that it's not necessarily our boss that's paying our salary and paying our, our way, it's, it's God, we rely on him. We'll be able to do courageous things like Daniel did. And that's my encouragement to you today. My encouragement to you today is to live within the community but to live with this resolute heart. I am going to live for the Lord. I am going to be holy. I am going to worship him. I am not going to bow down to any other idols. I am going to be faithful to him. And as you decide to be faithful in every situation, you will see the breath of God flow through. The breath of God break in. And people will look on and say, Look at what God is doing. Can I pray for you? Thank you, Father. God, I thank you that you are faithful. I thank you that you are a faithful God, and I thank you that you take delight in us being here today to lift your name on high, Lord Jesus, to worship you, to glorify your name, Lord. I thank you that you delight in the fact that we are gathered here as a people, your people on the earth today, Lord. And I just pray now for every person in here, Lord Jesus, to know the power of your Holy Spirit, to know the pouring of your Holy Spirit into their hearts, I pray for a, a fresh strengthening, Lord Jesus, in their, in their resolve in worshipping you, Lord Jesus. 
in their resolve to live for you, Lord Jesus, to be faithful to you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would be bringing things to mind, Lord Jesus, where we've been unfaithful to you, Lord. And we just want to give that to you. We want to say sorry, Lord Jesus, where we've not chosen to be faithful to you, Lord. And I thank you that your word says you, are you, Lord Jesus, are faithful to forgive us. And I pray for your forgiveness and your mercy to flow through this place today, Lord Jesus. I pray for your forgiveness and grace to lift us out of a place of wallowing, Lord. <laughs> I pray that you would lift us up and strengthen us in this moment, Lord. That tomorrow we would be a new person. That tomorrow as we go to our workplaces, we would know that you've called us, equipped us. You will sustain us, Lord Jesus. You will provide for us, Lord Jesus. And you've called us to be your people on this earth today, Lord Jesus. I pray for a freshness, Lord Jesus, of spirit. I pray for a freshness of mind to every person in here, Lord Jesus. I pray for a freshness of heart, Lord Jesus. Come and refresh us again, Lord. God, you are glorious. You are almighty and glorious, Lord. Come and have your way in this place, Lord. Come and have your way in this land, King Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hmm.